Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, two cool dads, and two struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Johnson. Who's caught in a wind tunnel of his own noise. Uh, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. Ladies and gents, welcome back to for a second week in a row of Paul Schrader action. We have Ben Calmer from Phoenix, Arizona and TheMoodReview.com. Uh, ben, say hi to the good folks. Good evening. So this is all your fault and your idea where, you know, this had to be a Paul Schrader thing because you saw the card counter. I didn't see the card counter. Will did. He kind of was medium on it. But by doing so, you have poked the beast because once we, you know, dived into the card counter, a episode on first reform was necessary because of how highly exalted Will has it on his decade list, his year list, things like that. So it's first reformed here, folks. How do you feel about that? I'm good with it. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm glad to discuss it. And uh, thank you ba- for having me back. You no betcha, problem. you betcha. Now, you know that uh, as a teacher, Don, uh, yes. much like Ethan Hawke in First Reformed, I often find myself writing a journal late at night with a uh, glass of Drano that mm-hmm. I'm about to drink mm-hmm. because um, life is insane. Um, but then, you know, we get up. We persevere. We hopefully find someone as hot as Amanda Seyfried to float on top of in the middle of a room while I'm wearing a barbed wire jacket. So yeah. um, there are, there are worse places yeah. to end up, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. So folks, so folks, our format is this. The recommending lover goes first in this oh, case. Oh, we're still we always, introducing the episode? We're, we're, you still, know, we're still in the yeah. intro? Oh, Some of us, sorry, guys. So- some of us are on track, some of us are not. No, 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 no. So our guest normally goes first, and that's definitely going to be the case here. Uh, the recommending lover goes first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater, I guess I'll take that spot today because I think I'm the lowest of the three of us here, uh, follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up to 45 to 65 minutes of shared discussions and mouth breathing where the hissy fit really gets chippy. <laughs> Mouth breathing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just listen to yourself. Uh, so there's no scorecard here. We have a tiebreaker guest here with Paul, with uh, Ben, so we'll see how this all turns out. Folks, let's go. Ben, uh, tell us one more time here, just before we get started here, about your podcast. You know, we got to hear this two episodes in a row. Introduce yourself in that kind of way. We uh, we introduced or recently introduced a uh, podcast called Essentially Cinema. We are working our way out to all of the major platforms, but uh, the focus of Essentially Cinema is an opportunity for uh, the two of us to present a film uh, that uh, I haven't seen and uh, my podcasting partner, Anthony Francis, has, uh, giving us a chance to offer a take that's both fresh and experienced. And uh, we think it's unique, and uh, we can't wait to share it with the world. We have an episode out there already. Uh, we've got a number of other episodes that are already in the hopper, and we're going to be releasing them over the coming months. Um, we're excited about it. Well, episode two, by the way, everybody, is going to be Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So oh, uh, look forward wow. to that one. Barn <laughs> burner there. All right, all right. All right, so Ben. 
you are our guest. You do the honors. The first five minutes are yours. I uh, I I actually really enjoyed First Reformed. If there is such a word as enjoyment in a very painful and excruciating reformation of a character, uh, I thought that uh, Ethan Hawke deserved his uh, Oscar uh, win for the performance. Uh, it's a yes. What's that? Hey hey hey! Five minutes. Shoot the fuck oh, up. I'm sorry. Did I, did I kill the joke? I'm sorry. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. All right. You, you two cracked me up. Two to go. Good luck. You two cracked me up. Um, and uh, it, it's a very austere uh, movie. Uh, what struck me about watching it for the second time the other night is the fact that Schrader intentionally chose to film it in a one a, a, an academy aspect ratio of 1.33 to 1 uh because it gives you a very intimate look at uh Toller's world and um Ethan Hawke plays a very distressed uh individual uh he's distressed in his faith he's distressed in health uh and uh the catalyst for uh, that distress uh, turns to an arc of redemption in um, in Mike, uh, who he is asked to counsel. Um, and uh, the story centers on an environmental concern. Uh, um, it's very upfront that uh, the people who would destroy this world are also uh, benefacting those who would save it. I think there's a, a nice corollary there. Um, it's it's a very religious film, but it's not overtly so. And I think that Ethan Hawke uh, plays a character um, who is in distress, but trying to hold his world together. And uh, he simply can't deal with the stresses of prior relationships with uh the death of a child uh if that's a spoiler alert i apologize to your audience um and someone who is looking for uh redemption um and ultimately finds it in the arms of uh the woman uh who engaged him amanda Seyfried. um i i think it's a brilliant film uh i um, I loved it when I first saw it. I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. I think I've ruminated on it over the years, and um, it sits well with me. Uh, and uh, my recent viewing um, reinforced it. A lot of themes are in are present in the movie. <coughs> Excuse me, the aforementioned redemptive arc, uh, but uh, uh, you know, uh, a life of um, <clears throat> how do I say this? A life that is aimless finds purpose. And Ethan Hawke guides us through that with his binge drinking and his Drano escapades. But at one point he puts on the suicide vest. And uh, I think I think his religion had a higher calling than an environmental purpose. And um, I think it's just a, a magical movie. It, um, I can see where uh, 
uh, criticisms could be leveled against it. And I, I think we're going to get a, a take on that from uh, Don. Um, I think that Schrader is a brilliant writer. And I think that um, he's a brilliant director. He understands what he wants. His shots are very composed. One thing that I noticed in the movie the second time around is that other than being on a bike ride through a park with uh, Seyfried and Hawk, uh, the camera does not move. Uh, the frame is full of action, but the camera is very static. And that's an interesting way to view the world because it allows us to focus on the action that's happening in the scene and allows us to enjoy um, uh, Ethan Hawke. Uh, one thing before my minute uh, or my five minutes is up, I actually had uh, attended the South by Southwest premiere of the film. I didn't get to see the film, but I was on the red carpet on the press line when Schrader and Hawke arrived. <clears throat> and it was really an intriguing moment to bear witness to uh, the opening of this film because it, it's, it's prophetic and profound. And I think my five minutes is up. They indeed are. But no, well done, well done. All right, Will, you are the next highest reverence of this one. You are the next five. Well, I first want to just piss off a bunch of art snobs out there by letting everyone know that Ethan Hawke will be in the Marvel series Moon Knight. So suck on that. Second, First Reformed. I love this film. I think it's fantastic. Uh, when I was a writer for 25 years later, I used to write over there, if you guys remember. Uh, I don't anymore. Don does all the writing. Um, I just sit here and talk. Uh, and that's great. That's that's what really brings uh, all the, uh, the kids in uh, is my amazing dulcet tones and opinions. But when I used to write for 25 years later, I put together a best of the decade list uh, for the years 2010 to 2019. Um, and uh, I'm very happy with that list. I still read it from time to time. Um, and uh, First Reformed made it into the top six. Uh, it was at number six. Um, as I had mentioned in the review, uh, examining the human condition, whether that be uh, through the tale of, you know, uh, like a, a robot, uh, you know, in the sense of uh, Ex Machina, which I, I ranked number five, uh, get out, seeing the world, seeing humanity through the eyes of a minority or the quote unquote, the other uh, Black Panther, which I had number three, which shows what would happen if two people with the same strengths and ideals went down separate paths. Uh, shame, you know, uh, was number two on my list where I talked about, uh, or where, where the movie talks about, you know, someone who chooses to um, let their, uh, you know, obsessions define them. Uh, and then Blade Runner 2049, which I think is one of the greatest looks into the soul of a human being, even when it's not a human at all. So, uh, okay. So anyways, first reform was number six on my list. And uh, like I said, examining the human condition is what makes me the happiest as a film goer. Uh, Paul Schrader's first reformed, um, you know, with Ethan Hawke, who did not even get an Oscar nomination. I actually told him this to his face. Like, like uh, Ben, I was very lucky enough to meet Ethan Hawke. I saw him after a performance on Broadway 
with Paul Dano of a Sam Shepard play called True West. I, I met him uh, outside the stage door, talked to him for a little bit. I have some pictures. It's pretty cool. He's a very nice, humble man. I told him he was robbed for first reform. He kind of laughed it off. Um, I just talked about how amazing he was in that film. And, uh, you know, he's just very gracious that he wasn't robbed. I love that it shows the slow disintegration of hope and confidence in essentially what is a priest who was already struggling with his faith before stumbling across, uh, well, kind of a, it's a haunting suicide scene, but that uh, it leads him to investigate why this guy got to where he was, you know, because, you know, Ethan Hawke himself might come go down that path, you know, of being this, this nameless body in the woods with its head blown, you know, maybe in different ways, but kind of the same. Um, they both are struggling with this loss of faith in not just a God. Um, uh, ben mentioned that it was a religious film. I, I tend to think it's more of a spiritual film. I, I don't think that him being a priest necessarily has, makes this a Catholic edge. He yeah, definitely um, falls into the Catholic um, or Christian. I'm not really sure what it is, but I'm assuming Catholic, you know, it, it he has to fall under those rules and regulations, which makes his character as quote unquote flawed as he is having, you know, sex and um, considering suicide and doubting God and all this stuff. But um, what I particularly loved about it is that Schrader's expectedly vicious view of humanity is on full display. Um, and I love how Ethan Hawke slowly um, deteriorates both in mind and body. Um, that is an excellent acting performance, and a lot of films struggle to connect the dots between someone being quote-unquote normal uh, and uh, logically and realistically deteriorating. Um, I know this is a weird example, but uh, like, like James Cameron's The Abyss, for example, uh, Michael Bean goes from being normal to insane in a matter of like 10 minutes. Uh, it doesn't feel quite as justified. We kind of see a more detailed and nuanced look at a deteriorating mind and body through Hawk. An excellent direction by Paul Trader. And I only have one second left. So goodbye. Not bad. Look at you put your own self on a timer. Not bad. Not bad. All right. All right. Five for me, huh? No. Uh, no, I come at this as I guess the detractor, or at least the person who is willing to poke holes. Um, I gave it four out of five. I saw it uh, at the Chicago Critics Film Festival in May of that year, not long after South by Southwest. Paul Schrader was in attendance and did a Q&A after a fantastic little a night and event because, you know, you get to put him in a couch and you hear kind of where those stories of this movie goes and where you know other stories of his career goes. And uh, he's a fascinating figure, and I, I don't doubt that. Um, this movie's, you know, it's classic situation where this is a movie I I wholly appreciate more than I'll ever watch again in my life, you know. And I not every movie has to have cuddles and rewatchability and all that. Where I can it can it can be on the pedestal that it belongs to be on, and that's good enough. If I if I never see it again, I never see it again. And this is this is just a tricky one here where. Um, Paul has always been that person with a mo motif of self-destruction and he, he put, he puts protagonists that are pursuing actions that are kind of, you know, opposite to the, his or her own values along the way. And we get that a ton in his work. And if that's a motif for him, awesome, nail it, you know, and he does. And you have a really 
compelling central figure with with um with Hawk's character here and and say I'm with I'll echo the dais here you know he he deserved a nomination and the straight up win that year for for this part it's the best thing he best thing he's done and he's been on an absolute roll in terms of some, nailing some of these indies over the last five ten years and so the the tension is here because you his narration and the things that he talks about just really, you know, bend your ear enough to go like, man, where's this guy coming from? There's, and as the guy who writes on a site called every movie has a lesson, there are definitely heavy lessons and things you can kind of pull out of this. And no, you know, no less than that. It's just the idea of just the narration is a big piece of this movie where he has words that kind of justify where he's going, but also words that kind of condemn where he's at. And he is, you can tell he's on this teetering place between just dreary dread and just a, a, a cry for help in terms of what, where can I get out of this? And, and I just can't, I keep circling the idea of dread with this whole movie and, 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 and Hawk can play that with such a straight face where he's aged, you know, at the time he was 47 and he's, you know, one of the first films I remember him really kind of playing his age, you know, because he's got such boyish looks where he can play 40 and under if he really needed to. But here he is kind of in that, I don't want to call it midlife crisis because he's not a sitcom dad, but he's at this place where if a guy was this kind of damaged, he would look this damaged and have these, this wear and tear around the edges while still being a bit of a pillar in terms of the role he has to be. And that's as a, as a shepherd, as a priest, as a person who's kind of in that place, I could really give two shits about the environmentalism background angle. I'm, I was really enjoying the theological setting at play and that the, those moral, the you know, the moral debate that he kind of had, I get, you need something to kind of be a bit of a catalyst, but it feels, I don't know, weird and out of place in rural Pennsylvania and the, but, um, but the central character is enough for, to kind of pull me in the con the consternation, the, the crushing feelings he's got where the troubling notions and extreme responses that come out of his counseling work and even his own self-reflection, it, it's fascinating to play out. And I'm not normally a person who, you know, needs a lot of narration in a movie. I think sometimes it over, sometimes a narration can kind of overtell a movie that you should be able to kind of, you know, weasel out or kind of sniff out through just, just observe, just watch, don't get it fed to you, watch it. But in this movie, you kind of need that because you get the back and forth that this character has. And it's fascinating. Uh, it's, you know, I, it, this movie has a very high degree of transcendental stylings, and that that's another trait of Crawling Card, and and I can dig that. It's a dialogue center movie with increasing atmosphere, and the pace is, is you know is 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 intentional, and it's part of its prose. That I tell you, what the thing that takes me out of it, and I and I I don't want it to, is kind of that ending. It is once it kind of gets, you know you're i'm spellbound i'm unnerved but then you get to the trippy part and i'm like that's a leap and i don't know if i'm kind of ready to take that leap and 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 feel like that's a justified leap but you know the despair the wisdom and the the courage that's kind of brewing in that character is enough and it's there and it's fascinating and it's grueling and it's a good challenge but one i wash my hands at that i i don't, I don't need to see again uh four out of five Definitely Hawk's best stuff, but it's an arm's length away movie for me. So we will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. 
the year is 2043. You're playing fantasy football. It is championship week. You're trying to set your lineup and you don't know what to do. Robert Griffin IV and his top target, Will Fuller VI, have carried you all season, but they're facing a London Jaguars team that has the top defense in the league. Your other quarterback is a 66-year-old Tom Brady who's playing against the much more manageable Toronto Bengals. So you turn to Nick and Elijah of the 25 Yards Later podcast, a production of Sports Obsessive and Ruminations Radio Network. Be a champion. champion. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Welcome back. Pound your desk and do your thing. (laughs) Okay. So open open discussion, gentlemen. Fire away. I know. Oh, thank you for your permission. Uh, I know that the Oscars aren't everything, but here is a little taste of who the Academy felt did Mm -hmm. better than Ethan Hawke in First Reformed. So, first, we have one of my favorite actors, Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Uh, then we had Bradley Cooper in The Star is Born, one of his 97 Oscar nominations that night. Uh, Willem Dafoe, well, another one of my favorite actors uh, for At Eternity's Gate. Um, Christian That's Bale. Christian Bale for Vice. Fine, whatever. Yeah. And the winner, Rami Malek for Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody, who they decided that when he won the Oscar, the clip that they showed of his Oscar-winning performance was of him lip-syncing at a piano. I know. So, uh, great. So that the, is the, who they chose. The guy, the guy I shave off. Well, there's two. I the, the who uh, who was the first one you listed? Vigo Mortensen in Green Book. Yeah, it, it. I. I. It's Vigo. I shave <laughs> off that list. It's uh, Bradley Cooper belonged. That was fine. That's one of his best lead performances that it's ever been. Rami Malek's there because he became a character and it, it, he deserves to be in the final five. But sure, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take uh, if you're going the if you're going for the indie occlusion, even if you're going for the representation per, portion of things, where you got to have a little movie, a little engine that could movie that deserves to kind of get a nomination next to the big boys. Willem Dafoe has no business being there and neither. And of course, if you shut your whore mouth, they, they missed giving Willem Dafoe his Oscar the year before for the Florida project. Simple as that. Uh, Fine. Now here's even more egregious. Yeah. Oscar problem. And I would, Ben, are you still there? I'm here. Okay, good. I just want to make sure you're still there because you got to hear my important discussion about this. I'm all ears. So, (laughs) Uh, remember that time when we were talking to Ben and then he just left and went to the bathroom and we were still talking? Remember that? Anyways, anyways, uh, that's original screenplay that year. First Reform did get a nomination, Paul Schrader's mm-hmm. first. It yeah. did not win. Uh, some of its fellow nominees were The Favorite, fine, great, great script, interesting. Roma, fine, sure. Vice, sure, no problem. But the winner that year was the movie that I can't say with a straight face without uh, crooking my face together and going. But the winner was the Green Book. Yeah, every single Green Book. Yeah, every single one of those four nominees are superior to Green Book. No question. Ben, how do you feel about it? Yes, I, I'm. I'm just gonna go with a simple yes. No, I. I, I... <laughs> ben loves Green Book. It's his favorite film. <laughs> um... <laughs> see, see, this is one of those movies where 
like I Green Book has a lot of dumb things going for it. It's an all right film. It, it's an it's a throwback to a different era. It can do what it can do. It just has absolutely no business at this top level beating these other things. Fine film, <laughs> nice little weekend movie if you want to watch it. It's something that belongs on TNT next to Shawshank Redemption, which is a, a far superior film. But like it's it's a comfort food movie. I get it. it the comfort food movies don't need to win Oscars anymore. It's an aggressively fine film. I I I think part of the problem with the nominees and the eventual winners, and I'm kind of putting my own foot in my own mouth by saying this, but Mm -hmm. I think as the various movements have um, pushed agendas, um, the Academy has responded by recognizing um, talent that fits into that mold and. You know, I don't have a problem with Green Book. I know a lot of people do. You're right; it is comfort food, Don. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, even, I Bohemian, think a, even Bohemian Rhapsody counts as comfort food in this race yeah. that year. Yeah, but I, 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 I think that uh, even if he did lip sync the majority of of his performance, there's something um, uh, compelling about Rami Malek uh, and his performance. Oh, no I, doubt. No doubt. I, I just I thought it was funny that that was the clip they showed right. was the least dynamic part of his performance in which he actually right. isn't doing anything. He's pretending to play a piano while he's pretending to sing. I thought that was right. ironic. But yeah, um, but I I do think and I misspoke earlier because I thought Hawk had won it. I forgot about Rami Malek, which means that I guess I've forgotten about Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody, which means I've seen way too many movies in the past. Wait, so you, you weren't know. joking? I didn't step on your joke. You actually thought he won. I I thought he had. I didn't have anything in front of me to. Oh, because I was because when you started saying it, yeah, I, I started going, gah, 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 gah. and then <laughs> Don was Don was like, "Stop stepping on his jet on his joke, asshole!" And then I was like, "Okay, no problem." <laughs> and then we found out that you weren't fucking joking. You didn't know that. Okay. Oh, I'm such okay. a bad guest. You guys are never oh, going to get me back. This episode unreleasable. stop recording now folks we've already already, seriously we've already talked about fucking green book more than we've talked about first reform so let's talk about first yeah yeah transition here to it so i I gotta hear from both uh, both of you my my trouble part is the is the trippy vision part like it really does take me out of the movie where are you guys at in that that spot there I actually appreciated the the vision part. Uh, I I think um, uh, like the ending of um, the card counter, the character was seeking a higher form of existence and a a shared experience with the right individual. You remember, I can't remember the actress's name, and I'm forgetting the character's name, but. There was the uh, secretary in the main church who was constantly worried about his health Mm -hmm. and they had had relations. But um, uh, Ethan or uh, Toller puts her down very, very, very hard. Uh, I was shocked in watching that scene the uh, the other night. And uh, he was just dismissive of her pettiness. And I think that's where. Um, uh, the lead female character uh, won him over in that she wasn't um, uh, 
petty about anything. And I think if you look at uh, all of Toller's influences in the film, a lot of what he experiences is pettiness. Uh, Cedric, the entertainer, uh, who I thought was a terrific character. Yeah, nice addition to this movie, yeah. Yep, he was always berating uh, Toller in some way, shape, or form, or shushing him because he was going against the corporate interests of uh, financing the reformation of the church. But I think there's a biblical... Uh, ascension here in that scene that I can see, Don, your point of view, where it takes you out of the movie, but I think it's wholly appropriate, too. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I can see that. I, I can see where you're coming from, Don. I, I had a similar experience with a film that was on my blind spot list big time that I only watched recently, uh, and that was a film called Easy Rider. Okay. Um, which I thought was basically a perfect film until the very last scene of the movie. Um, and it took me out of it because it was like, oh, everything that you were trying to achieve here, you overextended your hand, and hmm. overexplained what your point is, you know, and it kind of ruined it a little bit for me because now if I ever rewatch it, I'm going to be like, well, I like the subtlety here, but it's, you know, right at the end, the subtlety is going to go right out the door. And perhaps, yes, first reformed, I can see when, when you have this kind of, I don't want to use the word gritty, but when you have a very, very down to earth, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, uh, realistic film, you know, um, where even the character beats and dramatic beats you would expect from any other film of this ilk. Mm-hmm. Um, go in different directions, but stay very grounded. Yeah. I can see how, like a scene like that would, um, maybe take you out of it. I I was not bothered by it myself. Um, but that's only because I felt like the character, you know, Don or uh, Ben was talking about how, like in the card counter, we're kind of seeing it from a third party view of this character. I do think First Reformed is a little bit more personal. It's a little bit more from Ethan Hawke's perspective. And so to kind of see where his mind is at or where it's been devolving to, mm-hmm. to, ha- to for him to have that moment, I believe we're seeing it through his eyes that way. And that it's uh, not really what's happening. It's more yeah. of a vision he's having, in yeah. my opinion. I don't doubt the intimacy of the moment and the 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 look inside of where it, it, that if his head's taken him into this place, I can see that. Um, I got another example of a of a scene like this where you're you're doing the realism thing so hard that once you kind of riff in a, in a mm-hmm. fantastical place, you're like, where where, where are you going with this? Uh, gravity, like when mm-hmm. the resurrected George Clooney kind of shows up just to kind of pull Sandra Bullock's character along for a second. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that took me out of the movie too. And I, I know they try to do where your brain goes with hypoxia and things like that, but no, 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 that doesn't mean it has to be played on screen that way. So, so yeah, yeah. what you're saying though, I think also comes down to delivery as well. True. I think it true, comes down true. to the direction. Like you can have those, what the fuck moments. Mm-hmm. And if they're told correctly, that that's why I'm not bothered by the first reform one, because yes, even though it is almost antithetical to what has been presented so far, I think yeah. it's in, it's in line with the character's experience is I can agree with that. Oh, I see it. Yeah. 
how do you if if uh, if it takes you out of a movie, uh, how mm-hmm. do you explain motivate character motivation? Oh, well, it's yeah, I guess the thing would be character motivation in that part. Well, see, that's the next thing is like, are we can we say this movie is still open ended where we don't know how this is all going to turn out when he steps down that st- down those stairs? Like it'd be if if that vision directly led to a place we knew it was going, if it had an end point, I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. You know that I, I need my. You know, I hate this. I use the reference all the time of like a, a Peyton Farquhar moment of uh, from the occurrence at Oak Creek Bridge Twilight Zone episode where that guy's life flashes before his eyes and the amount of time it takes the noose to drop him off a bridge, you know, where mm-hmm. what if what if the noose breaks and I can make it and I can run home and I can go to the woman I love and then bang right when you think you're done, you're you're actually done. Like right. it'd be different if this movie had that. I don't want to say the rope, the rope, the rope break. Or if it had the you know the news tightening, but I think it it, it missed the punch, you know, to to that would that would come from that motivation. Yeah, I I think I, I'm going to pull a Star Trek moment, um, but I think back to the end of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, where Decker desperately wants to be with Ilea, and the only way that he can is uh, fulfill that is to join his mortal body with. Uh, Beedger, right? And mm-hmm, ascend mm-hmm. to a higher level of understanding. And yeah. I think to an extent, Schrader mirrors that with the scene. And I, I would dare say it's it's poetry in motion. Again, one of my cliches, when Toller finds his absolution in the arms of another man's wife, um, a, a decedent's wife, of course, but um, and one who is with child, but um, there's something very prophetic about that moment uh, that leads him uh, in the real world to do what he does before uh, he realizes that he doesn't need to take everybody else's life to be a martyr, and it's it's really about martyrdom at the end of the day. And uh, but uh, his body is so badly wrecked that mm-hmm. the only way that he can find that true ascension is by uh, affecting himself. And there's something beautiful, beautifully transcendent about that moment that I appreciate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, sure. I get the, I get the vibe. It's a well-executed little, you know, as in, in, in of itself, it's a very well-executed vision to kind of go there. And like, it wasn't gaudy. It was, it was definitely intimate and it didn't, pylon you know special effects that didn't belong and things like that so it just i don't know it just it was a curveball in a place where i i can understand why curveballs the pitch you choose there but yeah it took me out i totally but, um, totally get it totally get it yeah i had to know i had to know about that ending before we go other places in this one yeah no uh i, I mean what to talk about it is a it is a very and I say dreadful, as in it is mm-hmm. full of dread. Um, you know, film it is tough to watch. It, it you know, is. it's tough to rewatch. Yeah. Um, there's something. It's one of those films as well, uh, and I credit the direction on this um, for setting a mood. But it's one of those films where you can feel how cold it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it. It has a very. Uh, 
uh, tactile feel to it. Like you kind of feel the atmosphere, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of like that. And I, I love that aspect, but it's not like a, a nice summer day on the beach. You know, it's, no. it's yeah. a uh, terrible, you know, two degree day in the woods next to dead bodies with their heads blown off. You know, it's not exactly the most marvelous uh, mm-hmm. uh, feeling in the world to have. But uh, what what are, what are your thoughts, Ben? What are, what are your uh, what else do you have to say about first I, reformed? I keep going back to Ethan Hawke's performance because mm. uh, it's it's steady, even though you can see him quivering. I mean, it's a combination of the camera work and um, uh, Schrader's composition of each scene. It's intentional. It's deliberate. Um, it is difficult to watch, but I think intentionally so. And, Agreed. you know, I, I, I appreciated the auteur uh, even more because it, it takes a lot of experience to compose scenes like that. And uh, I think, um, uh, Will, you made a, a mention of uh, Hawks um, playing... Um, his age and yeah uh it's that's not something that you can easily do i i you know i, I take cry macho as an example of somebody who is playing their age and it takes a somebody uh either whether it's an actor or a director um it it's somebody who understands that they are not at the right place in their life to play a performance or to direct a film. And, um, you know, I, I think one thing that I would take away from First Reform uh, is that it's a timeless film. And oh, yeah, definitely. It, it's not easy to do that, especially with such a heady and heavy subject as we are, bear, uh, we are born witness to in First Reformed. So yeah, you like I the think- point, you like the point about. Ethan Hawke playing his age. You like yeah. that point, right? Okay, good. We'll pretend Don. Don did not say that. I said that. Yes, I agree. <laughs> right, Don. Yeah. I'm sorry. That wasn't okay, what Don said. I said it. Oh, oh right, 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 right. Right. I no. said that. Yeah, I'm with you on the date, the timelessness of it. I think the only thing that dates this movie, if you were to watch it in 20 years, is probably is the thing I kind of dismiss is the environmentalism little sidebar thing. So right. I, I, I think environmentalism is with us. Um oh, yeah, just it's like, not going away. Right. I think just like the card counter, um the the atrocities that happened in Abu Ghraib um and the illegal tortures they're going to haunt us for the rest of our lives. And Mm. as we move on, we're going to be able to put them in a section of our brain and uh, dare I say, move on with our lives. But movies like both First Reformed and The Card Counter, um, they're not reminders of what humans are capable of doing. I think they're markers um, Mm. that we should avoid these types of situations from happening in the future. I dig that. No, that's see once again. Look, look at this. Look at this smart guy. We got to seriously. Why know. you know, Don? Hey. Why don't you just quit and let Ben? I, go? He's I, so that, smart. I did that last episode. You know, simple as that. <laughs> no, that's a that's a great point. Uh, I like the idea of that being because I think people get when they say things like timeless and things like that. Like I think they 
tend to get stuck up on stuck on the idea of like, oh, well, there's a cell phone in this or blah, 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 blah. When it's not mm-hmm. necessarily the um, the the technology involved or the setting, it's it's the the emotions, the feelings, the themes, you know, that's why we can watch something like Indiana Jones. And even though it takes place in the 30s, we can still identify with many of the themes and feelings and emotions of today it's it's it is timeless in theme and feeling i think yeah and i'm glad it's hawk's struggle in this this priest struggle that that is worth more and given more time than the environmental thing because if you yeah if you do the the environmental thing and that becomes the the lead piece well then you're making a message film and it, it well, you are you're dating it and then this you have this great character that you don't explore further sitting in the background because you're trying to push agenda number one and agenda number two for well, it to be the man first is awesome well also yeah. what you have to realize i think with the story is that this is not his first rodeo at having these existential doubts and problems because i have a feel i have a feeling this character maybe especially when he was having a relationship with a woman which you're not supposed Mm -hmm. to do as a priest you know he may have already had one of those i'm going to write a journal and then i'm going to destroy it after a year kind of thing i I have a feeling he's done this before this environmentalism deal is just the you know either the straw that broke the camel's back or just the next thing that he's getting obsessed about that is forcing him to question his his faith in not just god but life you know mm-hmm. i i think something else that we have not touched on is the theme of sacrifice yeah, um certainly and uh uh toller uh there are faiths where christianity christianity faiths where marriage is allowed and he was married before his child uh, was sent off to war and summarily killed. And mm. I don't think he could live with himself. So how do you repay the loss of a child? How do you repay a life spent in essentially isolation where you're so bottled up with your own emotions and your own physical well-being that you can't share. He's dismissive of every attempt to support him, with the exception of um, the, uh, I'm I'm bad with character names, um, and apparently actresses uh, as well. But, um, you know, a a woman with child, um, you know, uh, I, I think, I think my religious teachings, and I haven't been to church in years, but um, you're they're... not missing anything. <laughs> Ooh. I, I, I know, I know. Um, but there, go ahead. Go I just ahead. said hail, hail Satan. That's all. Right. Uh, no, um, I think there's something profound about the sacrifice that he is ultimately led to protect the flock. Um, Mm. And uh, as a shepherd, um, he understands the needs of his people, but he can't act on it because his hands are literally tied. Mm. And so his only way to protect the flock is to leave his mortal body. And I love the fact that Schrader chose to go to black or cut to black at the end of the film 
we're left with questions. And uh, I, I would say the same thing about uh, the card counter. We are left with questions, but um, that's the beauty of these types of films. I can't say the same thing about Green Book. I can't say the same thing right. about Bohemian Rhapsody. Honestly, I can't say the same thing about uh, Bradley Cooper's uh, Star is Born. Um, we're not left with questions. We have answers. But, um, you know, this is the type of movie where um, I'm going to get this right, where Schrader rightfully deserved his Oscar. Because if a movie can leave you with more questions than answers, um, that's what human life is all about. We have constant questions about everything. We have more opinions than we have questions these days, mm -hmm. but we don't, none of us have all the answers and that's what life is all about. Yes. And, and, when, you, and when you well said, said well said, when you said deserved his Oscar, I agree because green book won, and uh, he did not. So that is uh, uh, extra uh, in, uh, damning in terms of that your point is correct and yeah. a much inferior product uh, one in his place. So he won I, in I, my book. So we'll, we'll right. leave it there. I'll be the butt of my own joke. I don't want to be, I don't want to call this movie a cult classic because no. there's not like there it, it's, it had high regard when it came out. It, that high regard has never left. It's just underseen where a lot of people haven't seen it. I do hope people as Hawk continues to mature. And even if he, this Marvel stuff opens up, larger audiences be like hey what's his deal you know i hope i hope people find the time the patience to sit down and watch this kind of movie because I, it's it's such a good movie so i remember seeing ethan hawk in joe dante's uh explorers as a kid mm, there you go sure, sure. and uh, there was something dynamic about his screen presence that is present here in yeah. first reformed i think he's a terrific actor um I I don't know if he's underrepresented in roles, but I think the projects that he is attached to might be underseen. Yeah. And so, yes, I yeah, like two years before this, I I thought I saw his next best thing he's done when he played Chet Baker in Born to Be Blue. Yes, you know where yeah, which he, he, nobody he, has seen that. <laughs> nobody's yeah. seen that. Like the three of us here, but like. Yeah. Oh, I, I admire that he challenges himself and, and yeah. it, it's not selling out and taking paychecks, but no. just finding you could tell it's a, a role and, you know, the things have to speak to him first before right. he just jumps at anything. Yep. I, 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 you know, you see him in interviews and I, I think he has a guarded personality, rightfully so, but mm -hmm. I think that's what makes him. Uh, such an approachable character on the screen in the projects that he does choose and more power to him. I, it makes me appreciate him even more. And he's, he's also one of those actors that can straddle uh, indie cred. And I won't say mainstream, cause I don't think he's ever really been in anything like blockbustery, but you know, he can, you're going to get is like the sure. magnificent seven. Right or tra back. training training day, which he was also nominated for an Oscar for. I can't, I can't uh, call that. Know. Yeah, I mean, big studio back, but small movie. You know, no, no, no right. That's what I'm saying. But but he can, he can be in a Denzel film with yeah. big stars and a lot of marketing, and you know, uh, maybe not the biggest prestige film like you know, right? right. And then he can be then he can be in like indie stuff that is automatically prestigious, or he can do a Linklater film or 
you know, whatever. So it's, it's, uh, you know, he's one of those, I, I, I would almost say a rarity now. I agree. I, I, I liken him to uh, Chris Evans um, before he became Captain America. Um, he was in a lot of indie films. Um, I mean, the same thing could be said about uh, our departing Bond, um, Daniel Craig. He I'll was in a lot Daniel of Daniel Craig films. before I'll go Chris Evans. Chris Evans was swinging for Let's Have Fun Fences with yep. not another teen movie, the date movies that he did, like yep. What's Your Number well, and all those, that. And, well, those were fantastic the films. For, those were takes the take the films you get, but I'll I'll, I'll 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 double down. I'll back you on Daniel Craig though. Daniel yeah. Craig was you know a, a guy of indie roots who was elevated to a Bond movie. Did yeah. it brought indie sensibilities to a Bond movie and stern yeah. presence that wasn't caricature, yeah. and you know, and and knocked it out of the park for a different kind of Bond and his work for him. Hard part is you know when you jump that high, it's hard to come back down that ladder because. Has he, other than maybe Knives Out, has he made a good movie in these years since 06? I, you know, I... I outside, I, of, outside of Marvel, you mean? What Daniel Craig Marvel movie is there? Oh, I thought you said Chris Evans. You said Knives Out. I was thinking Chris Evans, because Chris Evans... No, uh, I was going too. Daniel Craig. <laughs> no, Chris, Evans, Chris Evans is doing fine. Like, I'll even take stuff like... Uh, he directed his own little movie along the, along the way, and, and yep. uh, the cute little movie with the uh, McKenna Grace, the the prodigy girl, was a nice little touch for him, and and he's finding his own way, you know, like I'm, and he's not taking every paycheck, right? And, but Daniel I, Craig, ooh, when he's not Bond, he's slipping. I with with Chris Evans, I'm thinking Cellular, which is probably not a popular movie, but I mean it's it's sure. it's a an indie film backed by a, a big studio, and especially Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Yeah, there you go. Mm, there I'll you take go, that. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, and he tried and to a, do some things too. He tried to do some things too, like uh, yeah. he tried the romantic comedy route. I think he did what Nanny Diaries, right, with Scarlett Johansson. Is that was that him? Nanny Diaries. True. He did the um, you no know, the the perfect score. Yes. Perfect. No, I think he's done that too. I think he did because yeah. he's been in like seven movies, not counting Marvel, with uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, yeah. But he also did like I remember when he was dating Jessica Biel, he tried to get into this like kind of uh, uh, kind of gritty crime film with Jason Statham and Jessica Biel. I think it was called London or something. I, I don't okay, know. yeah. But, and he's know, done he's, like Puncture and he's done what's that Apple the TV show he's been doing yeah. recently where he's really good and so he's he's picking good stuff. Yeah. So uh, Ben is right, Don. Let's let's uh, yeah. No, but here's yeah. the thing. Ethan Hawke compared to the people you're talking about like right. never had Ethan Hawke never had to go big the way Daniel Craig did never had to right. go big the way Chris Evans did and hasn't missed when he when when he even when he takes a chance you know like he he doesn't have those you know just yeah he doesn't have Daniel Craig he doesn't have what's this stupid movie with Nicole Kidman he doesn't have a smear invasion oh i know invasion i think is what it's called and the, about. and the other thing is, like, I know Chris has tried to make his own movies at least once. Uh, Daniel Craig hasn't, where here's Ethan Hawke still, like, bankrolling indies and doing Blaze. Yeah. And yeah. he's he's really staying – he's making the effort to stay under the radar. I can't well, say Chris and Daniel do that. They're, they'll take the, red carpet things or they'll show up at the Olympics and parachute his bond. So – it's okay, yeah, it's okay, Ben. I, I, Ben, I agree with you 100. Don't listen. The, to you. I got you. The, I got the you, other, man. the other Chris Evans films that I'm thinking of are Gifted from 2017 and yeah, that's not bad. 
the amazing Snowpiercer from 2013, which uh, yeah. I'm a um, I'm a Snowpiercer hater, so that'd be a future show. For here me. is a Uh-oh. here is here is to tie it all in with a bow before we uh, uh-huh. conclude. Little Snowpiercer trivia for you here. They did uh-huh. reshoots on the Avengers when they were shooting Snowpiercer. So the infamous shawarma scene at the end mm-hmm. credit scene of Avengers, you'll notice that Chris Evans is holding his head in his hands as a like a fist. So you cannot see his face. That's because he had the beard from Snowpiercer that he cannot shave off. So there you go. Oh wow! They couldn't just CGI remove it like they did Henry Cavill. I mean, no, because that looked great. (laughs) Yeah, that looked fucking great. Wobbly mouth. Look. That's a perfect example of how a YouTuber could trump seventy million dollars of special effects. Amazing. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's better than replacing um. Uh, Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer. That's true. Well, no, but they... Oh, yeah, because there's some scenes where they mesh yeah. one to the other. I forget about that. Yeah. They, I feel like they hid that better than the worst they did with that mustache. Right. <laughs> We're digressing like hell here, fellas. Man. All right. Final thoughts. Um... I love it. I think it's like I said. Yeah. I think it's number six uh, for my best of the decade. It yeah. was either one or two of that year for me because that's how it made the list. So I yeah. don't know. I can't remember if it was one or two that year. But yeah, Did, I, uh, a great but not masterpiece film didn't make my top one hundred. It's a, a well, yeah, the the yeah. pillar that it needs to be for Ethan Hawke. But keep keep in mind, Backdraft did so. Not, Take it, that it with a grain of salt, sir. It'd be very difficult for Backdraft to make my best of the decade list from 2010 to 2019. You said your top 100. I was assuming you're talking about your top 100 on. No, Letterboxd. I did my top 100 on the decade. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. Ben, close us out with your for, final thoughts. For me, First Reformed is. Um, I, I almost Wait, want it, to say. It didn't make the top 100 for the decade? No, not no. even close. No, um, me at least. It uh, it's it's definitely for um, the indie crowd. Uh, it it's got broad strokes. It's uh, an excellent film. Uh, I rated it very highly the year it was released. Um, but I do think that it is an acquired taste, meaning that you have to be somewhat familiar with its themes in order to truly appreciate it. You're not going to walk off the street into a darkened cineplex to enjoy it. But I don't Mm -hmm. think that detracts from the experience. Um, And uh, I think I would say that with all of Paul Schrader's movies, they aren't meant for the masses. And that's the beauty of what he brings to, um, to his cinema. Whereas uh, Clint Eastwood can, has broad appeal and there's nothing wrong with each director's individual style. I appreciate them both. And first reformed, I, I, you know, based on our discussion this evening, I think the card counter still sits a little bit higher than first reformed for me, but uh, it's uh, both films are really strong and uh, they are continuing in Schrader's legacy. Not bad. Interesting. Wrong, but interesting. Cool. There he goes again. (laughs) I pass the baton of the outro back to the man who deserves it. 
Well, let me read it like Don. Okay. <clears throat> I will do what uh, Thomas Hayden Church said in Sideways, which is I will make sure the life is out of my eyes as I say this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Follow us on Twitter at CinephileFit and on Facebook at Cinephile. It's Efit's podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. There's an exclamation mark, so I need to go participation. There you Cinephile go. Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25 wild media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts and more wonderful guests like Ben, all available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. That sounded like one big run-on sentence. Yep, Man. that's that's what you sound like. All right. Cool. With, with very little emotion. I know. And a whole yeah. lot more inflection. Mm. That's that's Don in a nutshell. Something no, I was speaking about you, my lover. Oh, well. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> may, may we? Uh... <laughs> I love how the recording is still going. Have a good night, fellas. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>